This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What is up, everyone? Welcome to It's Called Soccer. This is the podcast where we talk about everything in American soccer. And it was a jam-packed year full of amazing moments in 2022 for USMNT, US Women's National Team, our youth teams did incredibly well throughout the year so this is going to be our episode where we just celebrate 2022 and look ahead to 2023 we're going to just wrap up what some players are doing post world cup break there are a few players that are back in action across england and spain but especially going into january all of the players are going to be back in their leagues across europe mls is going to get started back up in march as well so there's a lot to look forward to before we get to paper plates and reviewing where everyone is across the map here in the USMNT stratosphere, let's check in with our co-host, Tom. Tom, what's up? How are you? Dude, doing great. Um, uh, got the opportunity to have just a very quiet Christmas, which was really necessary. I'm um, getting really excited. I fly out tomorrow for LA in the Rose Bowl, my first ever trip to the Rose Bowl, so I'm really stoked about that. Um, but yeah, things are going well here. Can't complain. How's life? How's the last Christmas for the baby? Life is good. Christmas was good. It was very busy. Saw all of our parents, but that is uh, today's job and mission after this. We wrap up. It's to start unpacking some of the nursery stuff, but everything big is done. Nice. Made. Crib is ready. Uh, bassinet's ready, but everything else, car seat, all that needs to be unpacked from the boxes. So that's, that's on today's agenda. As everyone watches this and ingests this, just know that that's what I'm doing while you're doing that. But uh, yeah, Tom, let's get started because the World Cup is gone and passed. 2022 Qatar World Cup, Messi and Argentina win. And the USMNT is back in action. Pulisic started across the front three for Chelsea. He played incredibly well, probably should have drawn a penalty and should have had a goal, but Havertz had a, uh, pen or a foul wow. called on him. Yeah, we'll call it that. Um, <laughs> if, if you want to go back and watch that replay, you can decide for yourself Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson were back in action today against Newcastle they had an important point to keep them above the relegation zone Tim Ream gets his first Premier League goal as well Tim Ream and Jedi Robinson continue to help Fulham up the table they are currently in seventh place in the Premier League who would have seen that coming at the beginning of the season I'm so excited for Fulham man it's so cool to see Tim Ream have this career renaissance he's playing the best soccer of his life right now he was, what, 12 of 14 on deep balls today? He's just so good, and I don't really think any of us saw this coming, and I'm just so happy for him and happy to see Fulham back where they belong at the top of the Premier League table. Yeah, and I know he's a late bloomer, and he's currently 35, played a really important role for the USMNT in the World Cup, but Thiago Silva is one of the best defenders in the world, still at 39 years old, so it is not out of the question that Tim Reed plays a part for the USMNT at home in 2026, but we'll see how well he takes care of his body, what happens in that that aspect in the next three and a half years. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I He's giving interviews saying he doesn't want to retire. He's all ready to go. He wants to play at the World Cup. So I'm, I'm rooting for him. I would love to see him just keep this form up for as long as he can. Yeah, for sure. 
And before we go on to paper plates, we are going to do a top five power rankings of players in Europe going into next season. And that'll start our regular segments for this podcast going into 2023, where we will rank the top five. I think we'll do top 10 going yeah. forward, but today top five. Uh, that'll be a regular segment that you guys can all debate and argue with us in the comments for it. But uh, going across the Premier League as well, Christian Pulisic looks to have won his starting place back at Chelsea. What are you seeing there? What did you see from his start across the front line with Kai Havertz, Raheem Sterling, and Mason Mount? Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sport betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source of all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, golf, and obviously the best sport in the world, soccer. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. V to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Please gamble responsibly. It looked, I was actually really happy with the way that Chelsea game played out. It was uh, a rare occurrence where they didn't play with a back five. They went at 4 2 3 1, which I think sort of really fits Pulisic's game. Sterling looked great out on the right wing. Havertz and Mount looked good combining as sort of a hybrid 10 false nine striker type thing. And then Pulisic was dangerous on the left wing. So that looks to be a great lineup going forward. We'll see how ZX fits in on the right, maybe going forward if that pushes Pulisic to the bench for Sterling or if Pulisic starts more. But if they're going to play with the 4-2-3-1 going forward, I think that that's a great spot for Pulisic to be in. And I don't know if, if that's the lineup. Do you think that maybe he sticks out for another four months at Chelsea? I don't know. It's it's really tough. I think January is going to be a really interesting transfer window, especially when we look across Christian Pulisic. And I think there are probably going to be some other stunners that are going to make big moves. I think Yunus Musa is on the, the chopping block, not necessarily in a bad way, but really he's for sale at Valencia and he's probably going to go for 25, 30 million. Uh, Weston McKinney is probably going to make a move to the Premier League. There are rumors that Tottenham wanted him, but that Bournemouth is going to swoop in with their new ownership and money to buy Weston McKinney and make him the talisman of the team. So we'll see how that goes. But otherwise, Tyler Adams and uh, Brendan Aronson played a key role in getting a point at Newcastle. Newcastle coming into today had seven wins in a row. Leeds were able to stop that streak and get a point to stay in 14th place in the Premier League. What are your expectations for Leeds United of the Americans, Jesse Marsh, going into next year? I am. I just want to stay up. That's that's the goal. That's the expectation. Stay up. Play well. Um, I'm more looking at Tyler Adams as someone who is going to be a key player in that. I'm. I don't know. I struggle with Brendan Aronson because I just have never been that impressed with him in the Premier League. I don't think he's you know really stood out as a great player these last two matches for Leeds. He just gets bullied off the ball so easily. His pressing numbers are starting to fall a little bit. He just gets shoved to the ground every time he touches it. And that's a little concerning for me right now. It just, I need to see him be a little bit more physical going forward through the next two matches. I don't know if you've seen anything different with Adams and Aronson or am I off base here with my critiques of Aronson I, right now? I, I don't think you're off base, but I think there is still a lot of growth potential for Brendan Aronson. I think like if he can really, I don't even know if he needs to get stronger more, just have more 
ability to stay on the ball and yeah. not try and gather a foul. Like England is a very physical league, no matter if you play in the Premier League or League Two or the, I don't know, Southern Hampshire League. Like all of that is going to be physical no matter where you play in England. And I think Brendan Aronson does need to not even bulk up, just have a little bit more confidence to stay on the ball, not go down so easily. Because you could see today, especially, he was trying to draw those fouls but wasn't getting them. And that can be really frustrating for your team when you're really trying to give give your team the ability to go up the pitch and get a breather. Like Newcastle had a lot of momentum and a lot of attacking uh, focus in that game. And Bernard Aronson sometimes let his team down by going down too easily. So I don't think you're off base, but I do think that he has a lot of potential to still be a, a star player in the Premier League, I think. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Yeah, I, I think there's a long way to go still. There's a lot of development. It's really exciting that he's doing as well as he is, given how young he is. Yeah, and you look at how others are performing in that team. I mean, Jack Harrison was not good in in the match either. Brendan Aronson was probably the best of the wingers, but that's not saying much. I do want to call out as well, in that game, there were four former MLS players on the pitch, all playing really key parts. And Miguel Almiron, if you watched the last video on this channel, is about the rise of Newcastle United and how important the Galmarold is to that. He has been incredible for Newcastle this season. Then we have Brandon Aronson, Tyler Adams, and Jack Harrison making up four former MLS players playing in the huge games in the Premier League. So I think that's a sign of more things to come. Oh yeah, definitely. And Almarold is so exciting to watch, especially if you watched any of those Atlanta United teams, you knew how good he could be. To see him put it together in the Premier League is a very exciting thing and just shows showcases the kind of talent that MLS can ship off, can export out if they develop it properly. Yep. And Arsenal are now seven points clear in first place. I thought there was a chance that Matt Turner was going to see the pitch today because uh, Aaron Ramsdale was looking like he had an injury at the end of the first half, but it wasn't meant to be. looks like Matt Turner is still going to continue in those Europa League games for Arsenal and keep playing in that competition. But then we move our sights to the championship in England, and Josh Sargent will have a new coach at Norwich. We know that Daryl DK is now healthy and playing. He's starting and coming off the bench. Uh, Austin Trusty is continuing his good form, although Birmingham have now lost two in a row since the comeback from the World Cup. So just give us a roundup of the championship because there is a lot of action going on, Tom. What are, what are you looking forward to? What have you seen since the World Cup? I mean, we're seeing the goalkeepers play well. We're seeing Zach Steffen, I think, come a little bit round into form. Ethan Horvath has been spectacular for Luton Town. They've won two in a row. They're sort of climbing for promotion right now. I think we're going to look to see if Birmingham City can hold on, if the, uh, Austin Trusty can continue that spectacular form from the first half of the year. I think we're going to see if Josh Sargent can keep his form up and what position he'll play going forward because they've been running a three-striker formation with Sargent on the left wing sort of a left forward thing with Timo Puki in the middle but the manager just got fired I'm really curious to see who Norwich City hires and what that means for Josh Sargent's playing time is he going to go back to the bench behind Puki do you go to a two striker system at the top I think they've got the players to play a 4-4-2 well we'll see what it me all means interestingly enough do you think that Greg Berhalter would be a good fit for the Norwich City Ooh. manager job I like that I hadn't really given him much thought, but I I do think that's a good level for him to reintroduce himself to Europe. Mm-hmm. I think like a championship level side that's probably looking to chase promotion 
that I think is the level at where Greg Berhalter needs to reintroduce himself to the Europe European leagues. That's that's a great question, Tom. I think I would love to see it just because we need to have another American. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I think we'll we'll see. Like, yeah, you're putting some some vibes out there, and I I, and I like it. I, I'm excited by that prospect. I, I would like to see what Berhalter could do with that team. They would have Josh Sargent, a guy he's familiar with. He, you know, likes to play and has seen a lot of. So maybe he goes out, gets Josh Sargent some minutes, gets him some goals, and they make a push for a promotion again. Yeah. It, it is weird in Norwich, I think, because Josh Sargent, when he was playing in Pookie's spot, when Pookie was injured in the striker spot, they were doing incredibly well. Josh Sargent was scoring almost every game. They were climbing up the table. I think they were in the top three at one point. And then when Pookie comes back, Josh Sargent goes back off to the right. They drop down the table. There's a drop in form. And then Dean Smith is out. So this will be Josh Sargent's third manager in three years since joining the club. And we'll, or I guess two years, third manager in two years since joining the club. So we'll see if that's Greg Berhalter or someone else. Uh, I want to know in the comments what you guys think, because I think that's a really interesting take to maybe see Berhalter go back to Europe and try his luck with Norwich. So Tom, thinking across the rest of Europe, some of the leagues are still yet to get started. Anything else you're specifically looking forward to? I'm really looking right now at the restart in France and Spain and the continuation of play in Scotland for U.S. men's national team players. Uh, we saw Luca Della Torre get on the pitch uh, earlier, I guess yesterday. And Eunice Musa got another start today as he's looking to increase the sale value. Tim Weah and Jonathan David came off the bench for Lille in their last match, so maybe Weah will start to get some more minutes. Hopefully he's looking at a move here soon. And then in the Scottish Premier League, you've got Malik Tillman, who's just scoring for fun. He scored a beautiful goal recently. He's had two goals recently, and he's just on a great run of form. James Sands is sort of still struggling to make an appearance and sort of get his foothold in that back line. And Cameron Carter-Vickers has been rock solid for Celtic. So you've got three players that are really putting their name on the Scottish Premier League this year. Uh, specifically, Tillman and Carter-Vickers have stood out as amazing players in that league right now. So, yeah, right now those are the three leagues to look forward to until we get the Bundesliga back here in a few weeks. Absolutely. And speaking of the Bundesliga in the second division, St. Pauli has appointed U.S.-born Fabian Hersler as their new head coach. So we do have another American making their coaching debut for St. Pauli. I think he's 29 years old, which is incredible. So he he had a uh, career-ending injury, went through some of the coaching academies, and then has been an assistant there for the last few years. So we, we are trying to get him on the channel for an interview soon, and we hope to have Fabian join us. But just want to call that out, that there is another American U.S.-born Fabian Hertzler that is taking care of a team in the two Bundesliga all right, Tom, should we do our top five power rankings going into 2023? Let's do it. All right, Tom, we're going Yeah, what are, your, what are the aspects of which you're judging these players and making these power rankings? I'm going to go with, I, I think club form plays a part, but I'm sort of looking at importance to the U.S. men's national team and sort of a, looking backwards at their role at the World Cup as sort of the mm-hmm. main deciding factor. We just got off a really important stint at the World Cup. I think there's five or six players who are going to be very important to the team going forward who you have to keep sort of near the top and then sort of club form dependent stuff that determines the rest. All right, so who's number five for you? 
I have Tim Weah at number five. Oh, okay. So I took a little bit different of an approach. I was thinking more of like, I'm going ultra Europe only. I don't care about their aspects or okay. their contributions to the USMNT. I'm going straight up power rankings for what they're doing in Europe right now. So I actually don't have any players that are not playing at the moment. Okay. Um, and that's definitely going to change in 2023, which I hope to give some vibrancy to this power rankings. But number five for me right now is Taylor Booth in the Dutch Eredivisie. He was the player of the month in, I think, I think it was December. Maybe it was November for the Eredivisie. Um, when they took a break, he had two assists um, in two matches there. They just played an exhibition where he had two more assists in one game. So I'm looking for him to come back strong in the Dutch Eredivisie. Who's your number four? I'm going to go um, to a player who's, I think, got the brightest near-term future for the U.S. and is extremely important for both club and country is Yunus Musa. Um, I think that he's going to light up this transfer window. I think he's going to be have a great second half of the season. Uh, it was extremely good for the U.S. at the World Cup. I just see this getting becoming more and more important for the U.S. as we go forward. Yeah. Actually, Eunice Wissa was my number four <laughs> as well, so I can't argue with you there. I'm going to give my number three, which is Cameron Carter-Vickers at Celtic in the Scottish Premiership. He's absolutely crushing it right now for that team. Who's your number three? I've got um, sort of... you. You can do this in any order, but I'm going to put Weston McKennie at three, and then my top two will be fairly obvious because I think that there's only three players I can have as like the top of the European ceiling these guys can yeah. have. So McKennie for me, I I think he's also on the on the move here soon, but he's an important piece for Juventus. He's an important piece for the U.S. and I'm excited for what he can do in the second half. Yeah, I do think our one and two is going to be different. So who is your number two? I've got Pulisic. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's going to be mine too. <laughs> okay, now this now this gets really interesting. I'm going to put my number one out there, Tim Ream. Mine's Tyler Adams. Okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah. There. Nice. Tim, Tim Ream is on my list. He's just a little farther down. I had the sort of important pieces for us at the World Cup, and then after Serginho Dest at six, the top player in club form for me is Tim Ream at number seven. So, yeah, there's there's... For me, considering national team form with the World Cup, um, there's only six names you can have in the top six spots. Mm. Um, I guess people would argue with me that Giorena is not there, but um, beyond that, after that, I'm going to start looking at club form for the important guys going down the list, and Tim Ream is in such good form. Yeah, I gave it to him because of his form, because of Fulham's form. I, mm. I can't, I can't stop thinking about how incredible the story for Fulham is to come from the championship last season get into seventh position with two Americans playing huge roles for them. Tim Ream gets his first Premier League goal ever. After playing many, many years in the Premier League, he's been with Fulham as they've gone up and down. So Tim Ream for me is number one, but this is subject to change absolutely every single week. I think these power ratings are going to change a ton and have a lot of variety to them. So I'm excited at this recurring segment going into next year. All right, Tom, now for the finale of this episode and to really wrap up a bow on 2022, let's have some sun. Let's have some sunny fun with Weaver Plate Awards. I did not mean to say sun there, uh, but I'm made it work. <laughs> All right, Tom. First award, I think, is one of my favorites that was offered to us in the Discord, which is the 
Chris Wondolowski Memorial Award, which is awarded to the player with the worst miss of the year. Who are I, you? I, so I, I've put up together a list of nominees for all these awards, and I've got six awards for the Wando Memorial Award. I think you have to consider here not just the worst miss, but the importance of the moment when you miss the goal. Um, the least important nominee is going to be Jesus Ferreira on a header versus Japan. Um, tenth minute, he gets a free header in the box and puts it over the bar. Goes on to be our worst showing of the year. Um, but there are other really important ones on this list. I have Weston McKenney and his miss against England in the six-yard box. I've got Jordan Peefock missing a sitter against Mexico in Estadio Azteca in World Cup qualifying. I have Christian Pulisic missing a sitter against Mexico in Estadio Azteca in World Cup qualifying. I have Christian Pulisic missing a sitter against the Netherlands in the World Cup knockout stages. And I have Haji Wright missing a 1v1 with the goalie in the World Cup knockout stages against the Netherlands. All right, I have two here. The Although the Jordan P. Falk miss and the Christian Pulisic miss at Stadio Azteca have to be up there. The other two that I have is a Jesus Ferreira uh, miss against El Salvador. We're saying his name a lot. The ball gets whipped in by Serginio Dest. Tim Weah flicks it on, and Jesus is free by himself at the back post. He tries to jump up and do kind of like a half volley, but if he makes an absolute mess of it, he really just needs to knock the ball down. Um, but the second one, and I think for me, the winner, if we're going with the true spirit of the Wando Memorial Award, I mean, this this award is here because of a miss in the round of 16 to give your team the lead. I am giving it to Christian Pulisic with his miss against the Netherlands in the first few minutes in that match. He had the chance. He's in behind just himself and the keeper, and he's not able to slip it in far post. The keeper makes a good save, but that really killed us, and the game would have been completely different if Pulisic could have hit that shot. Yeah, I, I think that that one probably has to take it. Haji Wright would possibly have the worst miss if he hadn't scored a wonder goal immediately on the corner kick following. Um, well, but, we'll get to that in a second, I think. Yeah, <laughs> possibly. Um, I've got some good goals on that list, but yeah, the, that Haji Wright goal definitely erases part of the drama of his miss, although you'd like to see him do better there. I think for me, my back, my second I mean, runner-up would have to be the Peafock miss because he was so open, and we have never won a World Cup qualifier in Estadio Azteca. Yeah, we were so close. We were so, so close. Yeah. All right, Tom, on to best drama of the year. And I think we were we were robbed of some great drama from 2021 that was late in the year. If you recall, that September of 2021 is when we played Canada in Nashville and Weston McKinney was kicked out of camp because he broke protocol two nights in a row. And then we also had the John Brooks era, which I probably spans 2021 and 2022, but I think really kicked off in its true yeah. essence in 2021. So there, there's really only a few to choose from, and one sticks out in my mind as the most recent. But what's what's your best drama of the year? So I'm, I'm going to leave that one for last. There's some other ones that I thought were worthy of a mention. I think that you can say that Ohio Gate spans this year, where everyone was so mad at the U.S. Soccer Federation for putting all of our World Cup qualifiers in Ohio um, instead of sending them anyone to either coast, uh, which I thought was some decent controversy, although not quite enough to sort of crack my number one i also put in there the striker carousel from all of this year where we just had so many names in a hat for striker and everyone was so angry about whoever was going to be picked and everyone had sort of put themselves in camps of which their favorite striker was 
So whether you're a Peppy fan or a Sargent fan, or if you're still on the Hazes Ferreira train, you probably had some really intense conversations about strikers this year. Um, I've got two others. One would be Zach Steffen left off the World Cup roster, which caused a huge stir and was a huge surprise, especially given everyone thought he might be the starter in Qatar, despite Matt Turner outplaying him. And last but not least, the funniest of the drama that is not my number one is going to be Matt Turner potentially getting frostbite at the match we played against Honduras in St. Paul, Minnesota on February 2nd. Uh, there we go. It's just a hilarious little bit of drama. I don't think he actually did get frostbite. It was reported and rumored for a while. Um, pretty amusing. Yeah. Little bit. Not of drama. even that game itself, but everything surrounding it had. Yeah. There were so many good moments. I mean, oh. we might talk about it later, but uh, Greg Berhalter taking a picture with fans during the game, <laughs> during the run of play that happened during that game. Just like. Some two, insanity. two players being subbed off for Honduras at halftime with hypothermia. <laughs> it's just a wild game. That, that possibly, and we'll talk about that game later on in this episode, I'm pretty sure. But I think that we have to give this award to the Giorreta gate, right? I think we do. I think we do. What are your feelings on that now that we've two, three weeks removed? Oh, it's just so amusing. It's the perfect world, like the perfect drama. It didn't really affect our performance in the World Cup that much. We still made the knockout stages. Geo still played in the knockout stages. I, Greg Burhalter comes off looking a little worse for the wear. Geo Reyna comes out with a little bit of a black eye. They continue to take shots at each other in the media. It's just hilariously harmless, and I I, I just enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. I, after the first. You know, two or three days of that, I was kind of over it at that point. People were milking it. We yeah. we probably even milked it on the podcast for, for some views and some clicks, but <laughs> it, it was a conversation. It was fun yeah. to have, and both that, both people involved in that did not do themselves any any good. No, and that. you even got the wild drama involving all the Twitter spaces and everything was yeah. going on there with 29 making all of his comments. This is McKinney's best friend yeah. sitting in there. <laughs> Uh, it was the perfect uh, U.S. men's national team Twitter moment. So, absolutely. yeah, just the, the b- most entertaining way to end the year. I'm really glad that that sort of is the capstone to this year. For It was a great year for the U.S., and having that sort of spicy little ending is just sort of the icing on the top of the cake. And like you said, we still made it through the group stages. We got to the knockout rounds. Gio Reyna still played. So it didn't really have a tangible impact on our results. So all all harmless fun for us watching and reading about it all right on to the next one is the mvp but not what you're thinking we're talking about the most vibable player for the usmnt i have three nominees i'm wondering if you have any others i have deandre yedlin for his contribution (laughs) to the zen and the yoga and the the intention setting that he had at the world cup for the team i have aaron long and i have christian roldan christian roldan i think for me, is the winner of this award just because he he got on the World Cup team specifically for his vibes, and and nobody even complained about it. No fans, no players. Christian Roldan was there for his vibes. Okay, fans definitely complained about it. We'll, we'll go ahead and say that. But I I sort of have I've rolled on in Yedlin as well. I went a little bit different direction because um, I have Tim Way and Weston McKenney on there as well, who I both think have excellent vibes in their own very unique, quirky ways. But I also put two pairs of people on there that I think need to be considered. And I think if you're considering a single person, Roldan might have to take it because excellent vibes to get on the World Cup team as the vibes guy. Um, 
But you have to include both the Bun Brothers, uh, Reem and Zimmerman combined as a unit, and the Mountain Boys, Yedlin and Wei combined as a unit, because both of those just have iconic vibes. I'll even add another one, Joe Scali and Giorena. Oh, yeah. Especially given all the drama that just played out, you have, I don't know, they might have to be the least viable players at the present moment, right? Given all the drama. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> I, I almost feel like Joe Scali is like worse off because he's best friends with Giorena. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's just there to keep Gio Reyna in check. <laughs> All yeah. right. So who wins that for you then? I don't know. I Do you want it to go to Christian Roll Dawn or does it go to the Mountain Boys? I, the thing is, the Mountain Boys, I feel like, are more of a, they're more of a, uh, an amalgamation of our, of our vibes as fans and like what we wanted to see on the pitch. Mm-hmm. But to me, Christian Roll Dawn embodies like, the most viable player yeah <laughs> for the us if that makes sense i get it yeah I, like I, reem, reem and zimmerman and their partnership isn't necessarily a vibe in itself yeah it's more a vibe because of like what we make of it and the buns themselves the buns hold their energy their vibes yeah that's fair no i, I think you're right i think it has to go to christian rolled on just as the true king of the vibes guy for the u.s men's national team i think maybe the best ever to do it right yeah, I mean, never scored a goal for the USMNT, but here's his here's his first place that he gets. Most viable player of 2022. All right, Tom, we're on to best assists then. I have two that I want to call out. One is Paul Areola's assist. This is not going to be on anyone's radar, by the way. But I do think from a purely soccer footballing standpoint, this was beautiful to watch. In the game against Granada, the US is up 1-0. Paul Areola picks it up in the midfield. Splits two lines of defenders to get Jesus Ferreira on on the ball, on his stride, and Jesus Ferreira slides it in. I love this one because it's all about vision. It's the pace of the ball. It's the technique and the execution for Paul Ariola to slide it into Jesus Ferreira. Then I have one other. The assist itself wasn't amazing, but I think the hockey assist, the assist before the assist, was my favorite, which was Walker Zimmerman's 70-yard bomb to Christian Pulisic in the game against Morocco, where Pulisic just takes it down with a deft touch, slides it across to Aronson in stride, and Aronson scores it. But that pass from Walker Zimmerman was a thing of beauty. I want to hear from you. What are your best assists of this year? So I've got a list of them. Pulisic did make Pulisic Zimmerman combo did make it. I've got uh, my first woman nominee would be Serginho Dest versus Iran, uh, taking that ball from Weston McKenney and uh, playing a header across the Pulisic to get that goal. He needed to be perfect on that header. That header was inch perfect and it was a huge moment for us. I, quality play from him. Um, I also have Jesus Ferreira to get a game-winning assist against El Salvador in the World Cup qualifying. Um, he takes a ball that's just sort of bouncing in the box and just has a, plays a perfect header across to Anthony Robinson, who slides it home for the match winner. Um, Kellen Acosta makes my list with a free kick against Honduras. He had two really great free kicks in that match. I think actually a corner too, but his first one to Weston McKenney was just right on his head. Gave us the early lead we needed to get out in front in the cold and sort of put that game to bed. Um, Christian Pulisic against Wales in the World Cup, that run that he had to take that ball off Jar Sargent, slalom through the entire Welsh defense and then slot it perfectly to Wea for the finish. Just a class play. And then the assist itself is not going to be as important as the goal, but Jedi Robinson plays a great, perfect cross into Pulisic for his beautiful goal against Panama. The last but not least, I think my winner for assist is Pulisic taking that ball down 
for against Morocco. That pass from Zimmerman was perfect. The touch from Pulisic to just pull that ball out of the air and then eliminate two guys at the second touch before sliding it over to Aronson. You just can't play it any better than that. That's just a perfect goal. Yeah, I'll agree with that. All right, now on to a big one. Best goal of the year for you. Oh, there are a lot of good ones. Um, So I have some sort of smaller goals that I thought made the list in World Cup qualifying. Paul Areola somehow jumping like 10 feet in the air to score a header against Panama has to be up there. Has to get an honorable mention. Oh, yeah, it was gorgeous. I don't know how he did it. He's like 5'6". Areola's popping up a lot on this list. Areola had a good qualifying run. I'm sort of sad he didn't make the World Cup roster given how great he was in qualifying for us. But his competition does get on here as well. Jordan Morris scoring a mud bowl equalizer against El Salvador on just a truly awful night. Uh, this summer in the Nations League, he salvages a point with a very late header on just the worst pitch conditions you're ever going to see in CONCACAF. Um, but he does get the job done. He gets us through that game with a point, sets us up to go through to the semifinals here in the spring when we resume Nations League play. So those are my sort of two qualifying Nations League goals. Um, Brendan Aronson versus Morocco makes the list, but that's purely because of the assists. Um, then there's three World Cup World goals that deserve a mention. You have Haji Wright scoring a goal that me, as someone with a master's degree in physics, doesn't quite understand, which is really hard to do. I don't really don't know how he got that ball up and over the entire Dutch defense and just to slot into the side netting like that, but somehow he made that goal happen. It's a spectacular finish, truly the hardest way he could have scored a World Cup goal, but you know, it's still a World Cup knockout stage goal and maybe one of the best moments the U.S. has ever had at a World Cup. And that was right after his big miss, which also made the list of the Wando Award. Yeah, exactly, which is spectacular. He sort of misses the one-on-one. He rounds the keeper and can't score and just goes and flicks that ball home off the side of his boot at full speed, crashing the box. Spectacular stuff. You just love to see it. Wild. Um, but two other World Cup goals deserve a mention. Way uh, with the outside of the boot finish against Wales is spectacular. I, I, you know, could watch that goal forever and not get tired of it. And also the goal against Iran for Pulisic, a huge moment for the U.S. But the way we play it, where Turner hits this beautiful forty-yard bomb to start the play, and every player on the pitch except the center backs touch the ball before McKenney sort of plays that perfect diagonal into Dest. Dest makes a beautiful header across and Pulisic crashes the box, sacrifices his body, and gets the go-ahead goal that we needed against Iran. It was probably the most iconic moment of the cycle for me, but not my best goal because I want to give it to Christian Pulisic's goal against Panama. Where, against World, in World Cup qualifying, the Met. The Met, he megs himself with his first touch, megs a defender with his second touch, and slots it home on the third touch. Which All is... Right spectacular stuff i i think that is a fair award to give and i do have to say as well the three world cup goals i think make the list just because of what they meant for us having to wait eight full years getting three incredible goals the two that really made the top of my list i do think for me that pulisic goal with the megs that's an honorable mention for me for me the best goals there are two the way a goal against wales just again you talked about the pulisic slaloming run but Wea takes it, toe pokes it, just lightly lifts it over the keeper that's sliding towards him. I think that's a lot harder to do than many people observe and know about. 
and under that pressure, we hadn't scored a goal yet. We needed a result against Wales. For Tim Way to do that in that first match was amazing. But I can't see any world in which that Haji Wright goal doesn't <laughs> make goal of the year. And it, like, it's crazy because I don't think he meant to do it at all. But just the way it happened, I, I think like on the, I guess I'm going on the results of like the lowest expected goal happening in one of the most important games. That to me has got to be the winner. Do you know the XG on that shot? It had to have been like 0.01. It was like 0.4. No way. Yeah, they don't. The XG model doesn't account for the fact that the path the ball traveled from where he struck it. it okay. Assumed, yeah. So on a technicality. On a technicality, I think it's like 0.4 XG, 0.001 for execution. XGOT yeah, is not high, but I need an XG wizard to look at that and do some manual tracking because. That point four is not going to fly with me, but yeah, good for Haji Wright. Um, guys, since that's a split vote, let us know in the comments who wins your best goal of the year. We have two more paper plate awards to give out. The The next one here is biggest surprise of the year. I think for me, something that we already mentioned, but really takes the cake is two Burhalter guys missing out completely on the World Cup. The first being Zach Steffen, the second being Paul Ariola. Those two players alone not making the World Cup kind of set the tone for what we were going to see. And having some of our best 11s ever, it, it was just a really great three weeks to be a fan. But it all kind of started, and, and I don't get joy out of Zach Steffen or Paul Ariel or anyone missing the, the roster. But I think that, again, just really set the tone that Greg Berhalter was ready to make some difficult decisions, was ready to put it all on the line at the World Cup, and to not see two of his most loved players, most beloved players from Greg Berhalter not make the World Cup roster. That was my biggest surprise of 2022. What were yours, Tom? I took it to be sort of a player pool surprise list. And there are some big surprise players who really stepped up this year. I think you have to look at Josh Sargent making a resurgence this year as a huge, important step for the U.S. men's national team. Last year, he really struggled at Norwich in the Premier League. He's near the top of the team. The scoring list. He's been contending for the Golden Boot in the championship this year. He has been electric for Norwich, and we really needed a striker to pan out. And having him come back at the right time was huge for us. Well, you think that, like, Josh yeah. Sargent started the year outside looking in. Yeah. The he hadn't been featured since September before getting called back in in the fall camps to sort of get a look for the, before the World Cup. He had basically spent a full year out of the team. I know he had those two spectacular goals in the Prem last year. But he really didn't do a whole lot in his year in the Prem. But coming back into the championship, he's really found his own. He's been a great piece for Norwich and was important at the World Cup for us. I think he probably was our best striker at the World Cup. It was probably the future going forward of the team looking towards 2026. So really excited for him that he sort of put it all together in the championship this year. In a similar vein, Haji Wright came out of nowhere this year. I mean, you look at his career trajectory, he had played a little bit for Schalke before uh, sort of being shipped off to various loans. He had sort of floundered in Denmark, floundered in the Netherlands. And he goes to Turkey and just all of a sudden, bam, 14 goals last season. Now he's second joint top scorer in the Turkish league again this year. He scores a goal at the World Cup. I just, I'm so glad that he put it together. He was a guy that sort of came out of nowhere to really be in the conversation and took his chance to play at the World Cup, which is a huge thing and 
We'll see if he ends up making another move because at this point, the sky's kind of the limit for him. Yeah. And I guess now that you're mentioning it, it wasn't really on my list, but the I guess a big surprise for me was that Jesus Ferreira rarely featured at the World Cup after being the number nine that we were taking with us throughout the entire qualifying campaign. Yeah, I think you could probably put Ricardo Pepe's career trajectory over the last year as a little bit of a surprise too. I think the whole striker conversation was a big surprise. Um, there are other places we could go with this though because I think that the keeper conversation was a huge surprise. We mentioned Zach Steffen, but Matt Turner's distribution and ball handling skills have to be up there, right? That's just for sure. Amazing. Like, he goes and dribbles through and makes a slalling run against England outside his own box at the World Cup in the group stage match, which I don't think any of us saw coming. Or his, the goal against Way, uh, Iran where he pings a 40-yard pass to Tim Weah to start the sequence. Matt Turner had an excellent World Cup. He's taken a step forward that I never expected from him to become the U.S. starter, and it's one of the best stories of the year for me. Agreed. And sending our best shot stopper to, I mean, we didn't send him. He yeah. chose <laughs> and Arsenal chose him. But having our best shot stopper in the pool go to a team that plays out of the back and builds possession from their keeper up, that played such a role in Matt Turner's development and getting him set for the World Cup to be the starter. Oh, yeah. It was huge. And a huge step forward for the U.S. men's national team, especially the way Burhalter likes to play. Having Matt Turner be an elite shot stopper and comfortable with the ball at his feet, looking like a Darrison out there, is a huge boost to the U.S. being able to control games. Um, and we've sort of seen it in spurts, but to see him put it together at the World Cup was awesome. I think, for me, though, the biggest surprise and the best story of this year is Tim Ream's career trajectory. Tim Ream was firmly on the outside looking in. He hadn't started a game since World Cup qualifying. Many had basically banished him because of the goal that he gave up against Lainez in the group state in the Nations League final in 2021 and then Fulham gets promoted all of a sudden we're like okay he's gonna play a few matches and then go on the bench like he did last time they were in the Premier League and he just refuses to say no he refuses to let anyone bench him he's the club captain he is a legend at Fulham he has got them seventh on the table in the Premier League and played the most minutes of anyone in the U.S. played at the World Cup joint with a few others that's the biggest underdog story I think that there is at the World Cup, right? Almost agreed. And I think it shows the importance of having your player pool identification on both ends of the age group. Because you can't write off a 35-year-old that's captaining a team in the top half of the Premier League Yeah, just the same way you can't write off having a 20-year-old or a 22-year-old that didn't make it at Ajax because of a knee injury but now plays in the Portuguese league like you yeah. need to know every single player and what they can give to your national team because the national team is not about developing players to be their best over time the, the national team is about getting the absolute maximum from your talent pool at that very moment so I think for for the U.S. going forward we need to take that lesson that whether it's a 35 year old Tim Ream or a I don't know 17 year old Gio Reyna, not now, but when, when he came yeah. up on the team. Like, yeah. Those are just as important to make sure that we have everything we need on the national team. Oh, yeah. It was a huge year for spreadsheet merchants, right? The guys who are sitting there tracking every player in Europe, 150 names, trying to sort of put together a name like Haji Wright that just sort of pops out of nowhere, a name like Tim Ream that has a resurgence, being able to sort of say, hey, we need to take a look at this guy because he is 
lighting it up when no one expected him to. And great story for our, our, our player pool and for people who do stuff like track all these players. Yeah, and before we get to the best moment, I do want to call out that there is some rumors going around that with our January youth national team camp, there's going to be a surprise player called in from the Bayern Academy that previously wasn't expected to have a U.S. passport. And this reminded me of a, a story about Yunus Musa, where he was not on the U.S.'s radar until a U.S. employee at Valencia noticed that Yunus Musa had an American passport and started to ask some questions and eventually got him talking to the the Federation. So there are players all over the world, no matter how good they are, no matter how much we know about their background, might still be eligible to play for the U.S. So I don't know if uh, Erling Holland has a younger brother that somehow was born here. Cristiano Ronaldo Jr. was born in California. We don't know. We don't know where these players will end up in the future. All right, Tom. Last paper plate award goes to the best moment of 2022. What are yours? Oh, there's so many good ones. I, I think just qualifying for the World Cup is up there as a great moment. It was just such a relief after missing out in 2018 that we finally got the job done and got to sort of arrive back on the world stage this year. And then having some great moments of the World Cup, too, were huge. Beating Iran, making it out of the group, drawing England on the world stage, preserving our unbeaten streak against them at World Cups. Amazing stuff. We also did some other great things this year. We drew Mexico at Estadio Azteca. We continued our unbeaten run against them. We drew a good Uruguay squad and beat World Cup semifinalist Morocco. Uh, great friendly results. Um, there were some down moments, but those were all really awesome wins and moments that sort of make you, uh, sort of uplift you as a fan. But there are some individual moments in games that stand out. The whole Ice Bowl against Honduras was just the best vibe, even though it was a horrible idea to play this game and has rightly deserved a lot of criticism for the Federation. But everything from Serginho Dest and Mark McKenzie, like, blowing, like, breath bubbles on the sideline after being subbed out to Matt Turner potentially being sidelined with frostbite after the game, having to jog back and forth to stay warm as the game's going on, to Greg Berhalter taking selfies with fans during the match as we're up 3-0 in a World Cup qualifier. That whole game was awesome, and one of those moments that I won't easily forget. But there are other great ones. Um, probably our best goal celebration this year is Jedi Robinson in that same January window, scoring a game winner against El Salvador, and then doing a backflip into a fake injury where he fakes like he hurt his knee. Uh, everyone getting super nervous before he just sort of walks off and <laughs> celebrates. An awesome moment for us. Um, other good ones include Christian Pulisic in March getting into a fight with the Panamanian national team over an incident where he chucked the ball at Lunas Mook. There's someone checked the ball at Luca De La Torre, and he was having to be held back from going and fighting someone, which is just so unchristian Pulisic that it sort of stood out in my mind as an awesome moment. Um, additionally, the whole Mud Bowl game against El Salvador was Pete CONCACAF for me. It was an excellent exercise in just the craziness you get in our region specifically the Eunice Musa run where he just sort of gets tackled into the mud and just sort of sits there flipping around like he doesn't know what's going on after being pulled down into that whole pit of mud on the field was awesome and then last but not least you have to throw Gio Reyna on here somewhere and Gio Reyna's run in Estadio Teca where he eliminates Hector Herrera three times and goes through like six or seven guys before finally getting tackled off the ball was another awesome moment yeah I, 
I love to think back at that Yunus Musa run against El Salvador. I feel like that's his record scratch moment in the movie. Yeah. Where it's like, <laughs> I, I bet you're wondering how I ended up here after being born in New York, moving to Italy at a young age, and living in England for most of his life. Yeah. How did I get to a mud-filled pitch playing for the U.S. against El Salvador? Uh, if I was in a different state of mind, I would absolutely give this award to Greg Berhalter taking selfies <laughs> with fans <laughs> while the game was going on. But I think for me, the best moment, and I'm just taking this for how I felt and what it meant to me, my family, like at being able to watch the World Cup with my wife and have these group stage matches where the U.S. played incredibly well. Probably three of the best matches that we've had we played with our tactics, our players, everything just came to be five points undefeated, one goal against zero from the run of play. It was just an awesome two weeks to really enjoy what it meant to be a U.S. fan. The Netherlands game didn't go as we wanted it to, but we were not out of it. We we played in a way that we have never done before, that against Belgium in 2014, we were holding on for dear life, hoping to find some counters, hoping to find just one or two chances off set plays. But against the Netherlands in 2022, we were the aggressors. We were the team that was holding possession, that was trying to find attacking lanes. And that just felt good. So I am very sad that we didn't make it past the round of 16. But at the same time, I want to just remember how good it felt throughout that group stage to play three incredible opponents as well as we did and get through to the round of 16 to play the Netherlands and really test ourselves against one of the better teams at the World Cup. That was my best moment. Tom, I think we would be remiss if we didn't end this episode by just looking forward to one or two things in 2023 and really flip the best moment to what do you think the best moment is going to be in 2023? What are you looking forward to most next year? Oh, there's going to be some great moments. Um, We get another CONCACAF Gold Cup this year. We get um at a youth world cup we get a women's world cup some really awesome stuff coming our way but i don't think that you can look at anything as hype as you can about the 2023 nations league final which i'm really hoping we get a chance to play it again the last one was spectacular i'm hoping this one lives up to that billing as well i want that to sort of become a huge like crazy event every single time because it's the rivalry has started and the, the that tournament started off the right way last time we'll see if it continues this time around I feel like the 2021 Nations League final brought the rivalry into the modern age. Oh, yeah. Like that that kind of closed the book on, you know, flying cleats, red cards, like people gushing blood to a new form of chokeholds and penalty saves, fans throwing things onto the field. It was just a modern final with everything that you needed from a rivalry. I am looking forward. There's so many things happening next year, right? You mentioned... Mm-hmm. The Youth World Cups, there are actually two. There's a U17 and a U20 World Cup. There's a Women's World Cup. We have January friendlies. We have March Nations League games in the FIFA window. We have three FIFA windows as well in the latter half of the season, which uh, we're not going to be playing for anything at the time, but I hope we have some good opponents. For me, it's got to be the Women's World Cup. The women's team is going for back-to-back-to-back World (laughs) Cup wins. We're going for a three-peat, and that is going to be incredibly difficult. The women's game itself has come up a huge amount just in the last eight years. If you're watching the women's Euros from last year, England, Spain, Norway, all of these teams are really going to challenge the U.S. to get to this final. We lost to Germany, to England. We, we've lost three straight, I think, 
So no, we didn't. We ended up beating Germany in that or drawing okay. Germany in that game. So in our last three games, we've lost to Tron once. So we are going to play some good opponents as well in the She Believes Cup in the next few months. Make sure to look out for that. But yeah, I think going for a three-peat and hanging on for dear life while we watch that Women's World Cup hosted in Australia and New Zealand over the summer in 2023 is going to be awesome. While we also watch the Nations League and Gold Cups happening, it's it's another year for soccer. It's the best time ever to become a fan of this team, of this nation, and we hope you guys are along for the ride. Any last words for us, Tom? I, I say get the spreadsheets ready because this is the year for 2023 to be a spreadsheets nerd tracking so many players because we're going to begin to see you know, a whole new crop feature for the men's national team. We're going to get to see a bunch of youth players get their debuts, get chances to shine at World Cups. We've got to see a bunch of women's players get the chance to shine for the U.S. women's national team. If you want to track 300 players on Fop Mob and be watching club soccer around the world every single day, you can do that at this point and never run out of Americans to watch. So that's that's where I'm headed this year is to sort of keep an eye on this huge player pool and see where we go from here because it's just an exciting time to be a fan. Nice, and that's definitely where our power rankings are going to come into play. We're going to lean on you a lot for that, Tom. Um, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone that is a regular viewer, watcher, and if you're new, welcome. We started this year, 2022, on this channel with just over 2,000 subscribers. We're closing out the year with over 7,000, so a growth of over three and a half times. Thank you so much to everyone that has followed us, supported us, liked the video, subscribed to the channel. That means the world to us. You can see us and meet us at the U.S. Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia on January 11th through the 13th. It's called Soccer Will Have a Booth. We look to be the headliners of Podcast Row at the convention. So make sure to get your tickets. We can meet you there. And we're also looking to bring some amazing interviews to you after the convention from there as well. Otherwise, I hope everyone has had a wonderful holiday season. Please have a safe and happy new year. And we will see you next week to start and kick off 2023 for U.S. soccer. We'll see you next time. Peace. See you guys. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boy's easy opening, smooth pouring container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big